welcomed our service today. Those of you here in our sanctuary, those of you watching online, we are so very glad to have you with us. And um, the bulletin, if you're here, you got on the way in with the uh, sermon title, The Power to Bless. Those of you watching online have access to our full bulletin through the app and through our website. Uh, you can also fill out online the Hey, I'm Here card. And those of you who are here this morning, we always appreciate it. If you tear off that little perforated strip where you can indicate questions about our church, uh, prayer requests, and uh, you can drop those in the basket uh, before you leave. We are beginning today a new series entitled Benediction. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of the benedictions of Scripture and what they mean for our lives. And I have a particularly great honor today to introduce uh, a friend and our guest speaker, Pastor Alan Wright from Rinalda Church. Now, Alan is known to many of you through his uh, radio program that's on 400 stations around the country and also his, his books. He has written several books. His newest one is called The Power to Bless. Alan is one of the most remarkable writers I have ever known. He is an artist with words. I consider his writing the caliber of some of the greatest Christian writers uh, I've, I've led over the years. He has that rare ability to paint a picture uh, with words. I'm quoting out of his book, The Power to Bless. God designed blessing as the fuel for the fruitfulness of our lives. I just love that line. A little bit of uh, history, first of all. Alan and Ann have two children. Uh, Bennett, who's married, went to Duke Law School and is an attorney in Washington, D.C. Their daughter, Abby, is a student at UNC Chapel Hill. And those of you who've been through our new member process here will know our history with Rinalda Church. We began as a planned, purposeful daughter church plant of Rinalda in 1999. We started out with 30 or so families from Rinalda, and amongst that group, some key leaders that Alan and the elders of Rinalda sent out with their blessing in one of the most generous and sacrificial, kingdom-minded steps of faith I think I've ever seen. In other words, without the blessing of Alan and the leadership at Rinalda, River Oaks would not be. So would you join me this morning in welcoming Pastor Alan Wright to uh, preach for us on the power to bless. Well, we're like, uh, you know, the kind of parent that's it's what, you, it's what you want. You want it to be that uh, your children uh, grow up to do things that you never knew how to do or couldn't do as well <laughs> as they do. We're kind of like that. It's like, so my, my son Bennett, he... Uh, he did a biomedical engineering degree. That's, that's not me. Uh, you know, I like to write a good sentence, but uh, as soon as I didn't have to take math, I didn't want to take him one. He got to the point, he was taking so much calculus, he got into courses, he was coming back talking about imaginary numbers at their time. I'm like, what are you even, what are you even talking about? And uh, uh, my daughter, same thing, she's done stuff. I like, how do you even do what you're doing? And that's really what you want as a parent, isn't it? That's kind of the way we look at River Oaks. It's like, well, we, we had a little part in getting it going, and then you came out and did exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could have ever asked or imagine. And I just, th this is such a treat. I can't tell you how much uh, Pastor David uh, means to my heart and uh, the deepest and, and uh, most beautiful spirit 
um, who really uh, has given birth to so much of this in prayer. And, uh, you know, I could feel it as I walked in today. Just uh, it's, it's a place that was born in prayer, bathed in prayer, and in the essence of the uh, virtues that have been so strong in your pastor and uh, how privileged I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the timeless word of God, and we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be gathered around this word today. We thank you that you are a creator who blesses. You shape, you form, and then you affirm and you bless. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue creating in us your good work and blessing that we might be a blessing to others. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I, um, I don't know. I want to share this uh, little story with you that um, there's a lady in, uh, in Kentucky who listens to our podcast. And I've met her at conferences before. And uh, she said that she had some anxiety in her life and sometimes trouble sleeping. And so um, one of the things that would help her is that she'd put on my sermons at nighttime. And I thought, is that a compliment? Uh, and, uh, you know, she meant it like that. Like, I feel a lot of the peace of the Lord or something, you know, while she, you know. And so uh, a couple of years ago, um, I, uh, I was uh, around her father-in-law. And, um, and he told me a story that was even funnier and worse. And that is that this lady has a son who, who had begun having some trouble sleeping. And so she told her son, she said, well, you know, sometimes what I do is I listen to some sermons, you know, the Word of God at nighttime, just, you know, let it be going in your heart and it'll help you feel peaceful and help you fall asleep. And, uh, and so I'm talking to the grandfather of this son and the son has an iPod, you know, and had like, like or maybe, maybe it was on his iPhone, I'm not sure, but he had all the, he had, he had different files in there, you know, different, different categories of, of collections of stuff. And, uh, and he said, and he said, your sermons were in there. I said, well, okay, good. I'm helping somebody else. And he said, yeah, it was under a folder called real snoozers. <laughs> so anyway, that's where my, my sermons have found their way into the, uh, real snoozer, uh, category. Um, I wish, I wish you could, uh, uh, I'll meet my wife and, and, uh, and kids, my wife and, and, and my daughter, Abby, who just graduated from Carolina, uh, this past weekend, uh, they'll be here at the, at the 11 o'clock service. And, um, you know, we, we raised our kids in what I would call an experiment of grace. Uh, I mean, the reason I say it was an experiment is like, I always had the sense that if I performed, you know, well, not that, not that my parents said that to me, they didn't, but if, I, but if you perform well, then you'll be blessed. And I had learned, I began learning about the power of blessing we're going to talk about today. And I just, I just thought, well, I, I want to I see how powerful grace is and what would happen if you, if you bless your kids, meaning you affirm them, call out the virtues, paint a positive portrait over their lives of what they can be before they've ever proven that they deserve that sort of affirmation. What would happen in, in somebody's life like that? And so now they're grown, and I, I feel like you know, I can kind of report on the experiment. And uh, so I'm glad to come and say, grace works. Uh, blessing, blessing, blessing works. When we were, when we were, uh, when, when Ben was little, we played tons of golf together. He became a little tournament golfer. And, uh, so we, we had countless hours on the golf course. I love golf. And of course I would always turn to my wife and I'd say, you know, Ben wants to play some golf. I need to be a good dad. Right. So, you know, off we'd go. And, um, but we, we had great conversations on the golf course on the way there and back. 
One time we were riding to uh, go play golf, and all of a sudden, he must have been like eight years old, and he said, Dad, he said, can you be addicted to gambling? I'm like, what? You're eight. What are you talking about? You know, and, uh, but I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean, son? He said, well, I, I was watching you know, the, the sports channel, and they were talking about one of those, it was a famous golfer, who they said had a gambling addiction. He said, what is that, and can you be? And I, I knew what he was talking about. It was a famous golfer who was rich and, and who had, had a problem with gambling and other addictions. And I, I said, well, yeah, you can be. He said, I don't understand. He said, he gets to play the best golf courses in the world. He's rich. He's famous. He's got the perfect life. What, how, could that, how, could he, how could he be addicted to something like that? I'm sitting there like, my kid, he's 8 or 10 years old. I don't know. I, 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 do, how, how do you talk to a little kid about addiction? And I, do, do I share anything about what I've come to learn through 30 plus years of pastoral counseling with people that are suffering from addiction do, about how shame works, it creates anxieties, how, how, how it is that we tend to mask those things, how, how it is that addiction can become actually something that is, is going on in our brain, producing chemical reaction, all of this. I, I can't talk about that to a little kid. So finally, I just settled on this. And I said, well, Bennett, I said, you know, surprisingly, even though he gets to play all the best golf courses, he's multimillionaire, and it seems like he's got the perfect life, you know. I said, I, I know a little something about his story and his family story, and, um, and I, honestly, it sounds strange, but I really don't think that despite all that, that he feels really good about himself. And um, he's probably trying to find a way to just feel better. And sometimes stuff like that gets your mind off of not feeling good about yourself. So I'm just trying to sum up, you know, uh, whole pastoral courses and addiction right there with a you know, little kid. And he's quiet for uh, a few minutes. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, in a little southern drawl, he just says, well, I love myself. <laughs> I've never forgotten that moment. Well, I love myself. I about busted out laughing. I'm like, well, that's good, Ben. As long as you love yourself, you probably won't ever be addicted to anything. We're really talking about something rather deep here. Because people that really feel deeply blessed have very little struggle in trying to find some lesser satisfaction. People that really feel blessed what need do they have to covet what someone else has? People who really feel blessed through and through, they begin to look at their lives completely differently. Instead of saying, I need to perform in order to feel good about myself, they already feel good about themselves, and therefore they want to make a difference in the world. Genesis 1, the very beginning of creation. And we're going to spend a little time there, but let me start with asking you this question that I ask our congregation all the time, and it is not a question that is theoretical, it is not rhetorical, it is one that actually I invite and answer. Are you ready for some good news? Okay, I'm going to teach you a little bit better about the one I think. I mean, like, you got to really, are you ready for some good news? Yes. All right, that's much better. You are a collaborator with God to shape the world. Because in Christ, you have been given the power to bless. And here's where we are in Genesis 1. I'm going to start here, and we're going to look at some other texts in Genesis 1. So God, at verse 27, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
and God blessed them. He creates, he blesses. He makes, he affirms. He fashions, he celebrates. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every other living thing. I want you to pay attention to the order of events. He blessed them, and then he said, be fruitful and multiply. He affirmed and in a powerful spiritual way put a prophetic forecast over their lives, affirming the masterpiece that he had made, calling them who they really are, and then he said, okay, go out and be fruitful and multiply. The reason that's so important to me is I just spent way too much time in my life um, thinking that if I would be fruitful and multiply, that then I'd be blessed. And when we think like that, it creates a lot of anxiety. And ultimately, it doesn't lead to healthy places. Blessing with God is not the reward for our productivity. It's the fuel for it. I'm talking about learning how to speak words that are not just merely encouragement, though blessing is that. I'm talking about learning how you can actually, in a sense, partner with God to speak like God, to speak words of positive vision that help someone understand his or her true identity, and with that, to attach positive possibilities to the future. That's what I mean by the power to bless. It is a theme that runs not just here in Genesis, but all the way through the Bible. The, the whole narrative of the Old Testament hinges on this theme of blessing and sons and grandsons craving the blessing of their fathers and grandfathers. And the question that seems to circulate, this promise that God gave to Abraham, I bless you so that all the nations will be blessed through you. It seems to just continue to flow in the story of the conquest of the promised land because God told the people, I'm blessing you with an inheritance, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the question always before us is, will the people believe that they are blessed so that they will take their inheritance? Or will they instead feel like orphans? Will they feel like slaves? Will they, will they not Will they forfeit what could be theirs for lack of really believing this is who they are? This theme just continues to run through. You watch not only Abraham bless and Moses bless the people of God. You watch David bless his family. And when Jesus is born, a strange man named Simeon appears and blesses baby Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry with the sound of his father's blessing. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then when people gather around Jesus, they always bring their little kids, and they want him to, to bless them. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't say they bring their children so that Jesus will pray for them. They say they want him to bless them. They want him to lay his hands on them and to speak this sort of vision over their lives. Do you know the very last thing that Jesus did as he was leaving the earth, before, as he was ascending? He lifted up his hands like this. And when we do this in a benediction, if, we lift our, if I lift my hands up like this and speak a blessing... This is a symbol of, if I could, I'd lay my hands on every one of your shoulders individually. Benediction means blessing. 
And as he was giving, as he was ascending to heaven, the last thing he did was he lifted up his hands and he blessed his disciples. It's, um, it is in many ways a theme that runs from the beginning to the end of the book, and it's pivotal. It is about a mystical impartation of grace. And, and yet, yet, most of the places I go, we know very little about it. We don't talk about blessing very much. It may not be as important in prayer, but it's a very close second in the Bible, the power to, to bless. Now, let me give you just a very simple example, uh, uh, one that I tell often, because it's just simple, because I wouldn't want you to think that blessing is just for the spiritually elite. It's not just, you know, when we're in Christ, we're all priests. We're all priests. And so blessing is not something that is relegated towards just a special occasion, though with, with our family, I just decided that we would, we would call our Monday Sabbath, and not legalistically, but we'd, we'd say this is our day off, and we would make sure on Monday we had a family meal of some sort at home or in a restaurant, whatever, and I would just make it a practice to speak a blessing over everybody in the family at least every Monday. But it wasn't so much that. What I would like to say to you is that you can learn to do this and just make it part of your just daily conversation, your daily, your daily life. So another illustration from Bennett, we're, we're riding back uh, from, from golf one day and I had an opportunity to bless him because we played that day and he's just a kid and, and, and he's a good little golfer, but he has a terrible first hole. And anybody who plays golf, no, you can have a bad hole. You feel like you ruin your whole round, and, and it's hard to keep it together. It's something you're frustrated. You feel like throwing your clubs. You feel like quitting. And he, and he didn't. I saw his face get a little red. He got frustrated a little bit, but he didn't quit. And in fact, he went on. He played a good round of golf. And we had a great time. It was a lovely day. I enjoyed the, the time with him. And on the way home, I just, you know, I'm just talking. We're just having a conversation. This is how, this is how effortless blessing can be. I just said, Bennett, I said, you know, today... After that first hole, that was a bad hole. I said, you, I know that was frustrating. I said, but you held it together. And um, we had a good time. And you had a good round of golf. You notice that? You know, if you'd lost your cool, you probably wouldn't have played well the rest of the day. And it might have ruined the whole day. But you, you held it together. And I just said, you know, the Bible has a phrase for that. The Bible has, calls that self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And I said, you're just a kid and you're young. I said, but I want you to know, I already see a lot of self-control in you. And I believe that you're going to grow into a young man who has a lot of self-control. And then I just added, and in my experience, Bennett, men in this world who have a lot of self-control go very far. That took about 30 seconds. That took about 30 seconds, didn't it? Well, not just because of that one moment, but because of the essence of who he is, but the, 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 the blessing of that, I would say that that has been one of the great marks in Bennett's life. He, you know, he just got a lot of, he just, I've never seen a kid could study like him for hours and hours and hours while other kids are playing. He just keeps studying, did it all the way through law school. And he's real, real cool. He's got way more self-control than I do. I mean, like, he just like, doesn't get flustered by stuff. You know, I think, I think he's, just, he's, just, he's just got a, a, a mind that stays steady about stuff. Like, don't get too, no, let's don't get worked up about that. And he's just. Here's who God is. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. In the beginning, God created. That's who he is. He is creative. He is a maker, the creator of the ends of the earth. And the Spirit was moving. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit has a role within the triune Godhead that he is bringing form out of the chaos and what would be void of all of its distinctiveness. It becomes ordered, it becomes beautiful as the Spirit moves. And verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. So these opening verses of the Bible show even here the Trinity, the triune nature of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For we know that through Jesus Christ, all things have been made, according to John chapter 1. And we know that God, as He speaks a word, the Father's word is perfectly coinciding with the movement of the Holy Spirit. The breath of God, the ruach is the Hebrew for this, is the same word for spirit. So the breath of God that speaks is like a picture of his spirit that is going forth. It's a mystery. You can't get your mind around this. But if you just put your hand in front of your mouth like this, just do this with me. Put it like here and say, let there be light. Just say, let there be light. Now, what do you feel on the back of your hand? Your breath. Why? Because inside of your words is your breath. There's not really, therefore, a separation between the breath and the word. There's not really a, a separation, therefore, between word and spirit with God. It's why God can just send forth a word, and it's like he sent forth himself. We're talking about mysteries here. And God, when he speaks like this, he's speaking as an expression, the writer of Hebrews says, of faith, Hebrews 11:3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are, that are visible. So God, I'm trying to say, here's who God is. He is a creator who has, who has power in his word. And that word that is so full of the spirit of God is, in a sense, an expression of his own godness. And he speaks with perfect faith that what he speaks will come to pass. This is the nature of who God is. So it's how he created the world, with words. He's creative and he's forming things. But inextricably linked to this creative power is blessing what he's created. He sees that it's good. He celebrates it. He validates it. So here's who God is. He creates, he blesses, he shapes, he affirms, he makes, and he celebrates. And the two have to be seen together. And we come to the pinnacle of creation, humanity, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. The emphasis continues at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you are very much like God. This might be the hardest thing to ever wrap your mind around because we know how much we sin. We know how far we've fallen short. And it's very hard for us to remember that we are the masterpieces of God's creation and you are made in his image. You're very much like God. You're not God. But you're very much like him. I put it this way, though human beings are not creators or gods, we are creative like God. And though all blessing originates with God, 
We are authorized to bless the creation like God. So we, like God, are designed with a capacity to imagine what something can be, to envision what it's supposed to be, and with faith to speak words that help release that vision. Okay, you, you and I, we're not creators like God who creates out of nothing, but we're made in His image as an imaginative people who with faith are able to speak words that are infused with power that are helping to shape the atmosphere around us and to shape lives. So you're, you're called upon as one in Christ to be awakened to the power to bless. In Leanne Payne's brilliant chapter on creative power in her deep book, The Healing Presence, she comments that Michelangelo had said of his greatest works like the sculpture of Moses or the famous David, saying that they were figures in the stone, Michelangelo said, clamoring to be freed. And so he chipped away the stone in order to uncover the masterpiece. The artist, then, is not creator, she writes. He is merely discoverer and servant to the work that is already there. The work says, release me from chaos. Give me my form, my shape, my being. And listening to the work, the artist frees it to become, to be. Give to me my form, give to me my being. The soul in chaos cries out, separate me from the darkness, the stone. I'm here, all of me is here, free me. And the spirit, when we invite him, broods over us in the situation and he comes into us who are priests of Almighty God and he does it. I'm inviting you to be Michelangelo. I'm inviting you to be like God. I'm inviting you to look at sometimes what looks nothing like but just a block of granite. Now look into people's lives and to, to see with holy imagination what they can be. And to, and to be an artist who sees what can be and then through your words begins to call it up out of its very hard place. That's what every child needs. That's what every, every spouse needs. That's what every coworker needs. It's what every student needs. Someone that would be able to see a destiny. Someone that would be able to see a value. Someone that would be see beauty and call it out like a sculptor chipping away at the formlessness of it all. We are collaborators. We are co-laborers with Christ himself. We are being used by God to help shape things. Your words are powerful. Exquisitely powerful. And I believe that we are able to bless people into their true identity and call them by the same kind of words that God calls them and to help them see how their future is blessed of God. Here's, here's 
two radical foundations to understand blessing. Our identity is shaped, and this is a very countercultural thing to say, beloved, but it's absolutely true according to the Word of God. We are shaped by formative voices beyond us, not our own inner voice. The spirit of the age says, oh, just look inside of yourself, find your inner guide, discover yourself, don't let anybody tell you who you are or what you ought to do. And the Bible pictures it entirely different. That what we need from the moment that we're born is we need someone to tell us who we are. It starts with some loving mother that holds us, nurses us, and tells us that we're wonderful. That affirms that though we are making no contribution yet to the world, except that we exist, that we are valued beyond measure. And that little soul then learns to trust. The psalmist said, I learned to trust at my mother's breast. I learned to trust when I was loved for no reason other than the fact that I exist. And that puts into us something. I think people everywhere are just desperate for someone that would be able to recognize giftedness and affirm it. For the better part of two decades, uh, I've uh, had the joy of being friends and working with Mickey Thigpen uh, in our church. He um, works with our administrative sides of things and for many years. And um, Mickey is really one of the brightest people I've ever been around. I don't know sometimes, you know, you get around these people like, how did you know anything about that? You know, he's always one of those people like, you just know something about everything. And he's just that way. Always has been. Well, Mickey grew up in, in poverty in Kinston, North Carolina. And he said he never really knew that he was poor until he went to middle school because he had taken over to a school that was what his people called on the rich side of town. And he said... As soon as he went there, he realized he didn't have what the other kids had. And he became very embarrassed about it, to the point that eventually he would have his parents drop him off several blocks away so that he wouldn't be seen coming in their old car. And he wanted to sometimes walk as much as a half mile so that no one would know which side of town he was coming from. And nobody in Mickey's family at all had done any higher education. His parents were beautiful spirits, hardworking. His dad worked in the mill and also put on roofs in the evenings. Mother worked in the mill on the weaving line her whole, her whole life. And, um, and Mickey was just probably headed along in that same direction, except for a lady named Ms. Harper, a teacher, that took special interest in Mickey. I bet you've got somebody in your life that just took special interest in you. Somebody spoke blessing into your life. Well, it was Ms. Harper for Mickey. And it, for some odd reason, she made Mickey her special assistant. Well, later he realized no such position even existed, but Ms. Harper was affirming of Mickey. And when Mickey moved from middle school to high school, it so happened, I wonder now if Ms. Harper didn't move just because of it, that she also moved to the high school level. And one day, Mickey 
was walking out of class across the hall from Miss Harper, and she saw him in the hallway, and Mickey had a paper in his hand of an exam he'd just taken. And she said, hey, Mickey, take pen. She said, what are you doing there? She said, well, I'm just coming out of there. She said, let me see that. And he'd made like a C minus. And she stopped and she looked at him and she said, Mickey Thigpen, you're one of the brightest students I've ever had. And you need not ever make another C. You make straight A's and you're going to be a Moorhead scholar. Well, Mickey didn't know what a Moorhead scholar was. It is now the Moorhead Kane Scholarship, the most prestigious scholarship of a public university anywhere in our area, the oldest uh, scholarship of its kind, modeled after the Rhodes Scholarship which offers not only full tuition and board, but many wonderful uh, life-enhancing experiences in the summer uh, and also the prestige of the rest of your life being in this elite fellowship of the Moorhead Scholars. And Mickey went home and read about what it was. I said, what did you think? He said, well, I was just naive. I trusted Ms. Harper. And he said, I took her words to be my future. Well, <laughs> he's an East Kinston boy. His parents never gone to college. And four years later, Mickey Thigpen was awarded the Moorhead Scholarship. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just walk up to your own child and say, you're going to be a Moorhead Scholar, and they automatically get it. I mean, you can try it. But what it does mean is that had someone not called that out in him, would he have ever applied himself to study in that way? What I'm saying is that we need a voice that is beyond ourselves, that, that can help reshape us by calling out our actual identity. It's authentic discernment when you call a bright kid bright. It, it, is, it is truth when you, when you see beauty and you call it beautiful. And when God's Word has announced wondrous things over our lives and we come into agreement with God's Word and we speak it over others, it's powerful and it's shaping things. Here's the second foundation to understanding and really grasping blessing is that our sense of identity then is the thing that unconsciously directs everything in our lives. Everything is being unconsciously directed by how you see yourself. It's why I prefer, though I sin a lot, I prefer to get up in the morning and agree with God's word that says that in Christ I am a saint. It means a holy one. It means set apart unto God. It means that you're better off to wake yourself up in the morning with the words, I'm set apart unto God. I'm one of his holy ones and I'm in Christ. Because if that's who you think that you are when temptation comes, it's not going to fit your identity. And in fact, even when we disciplined our kids under the sound of blessing, we would correct them not by calling them bad, but by saying that that behavior conflicts with your true identity. And therefore, we have to correct it. My wife had the greatest line, you know, when the kids are to do something, it's just like, that, that was just so dumb. I just can't. And everything within you is just like, it's, it's like this spontaneous thing. It's just get ready to call it out and, 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 and call, call it dumb. And, but instead, she had a great line. She said, God gave you a great brain. I expect you to use it. <laughs> no, no matter what you say, even when you're having to speak a harder truth about something, it can come in the form of blessing. And this is what we want for one another. We want to be able to instill the sort of identity that causes us to rise up 
to live out of that identity, right? Jesus, when he's interacting with Simon, who is as shifty as sand, who is unreliable and who will deny Jesus three times, impetuous Simon Peter. And Jesus said to him, you're Simon, but I call you Peter, which means rock. And I'm going to build my church on you. Really? The man who's going to deny you three times? Yes. Because he saw into his essence. So he really is. Julia Mancuso was an Olympic skier who won, I think, several gold medals. And when she was a little girl, she drew a crayon picture of herself skiing down a hill. And at the bottom of the piece of paper said, Mancuso wins the gold. And she put it up on her wall. So the more sure that she was that she was going to be an Olympic gold medalist, what did she do? Did that make her sit on the couch and eat Fritos during her adolescence? No. It made her go to the ski slopes day after day after day in the weight room and whatever else skiers do to train. In other words, the more that she was convinced that this is who she is, the more she lived out of that. A student who thinks that she is of herself, an A student, is likely to do whatever it takes to study and learn so you can make an A. But the student who thinks I'm an F student will just go along with that. And what happens is that when you are, when you are so affirmed of how blessed you are, it turns you into effortlessly one who blesses others. There's a famous study years ago um, that was uh, an inquiry into human altruism, how, how people would be spontaneously kind and help someone else. So what they did was they had um, uh, one of the people in the study, a lady, walk by a phone booth for some of our younger people, it was an ancient contraption. It was made of glass, and you would go in there and put coins into a machine and, and dial the, the phone. <laughs> and it was handy to Superman as well. Um, the whole Superman just falls apart without the phone booth, but there you go. And uh, they, so someone would be in the phone booth, and this lady would come walking by with papers, and intentionally she would drop them as the man's coming out of the phone, as the, as the man or woman's coming out of the phone booth. And the, the question of the study was, how many people would bend down and help the lady pick up their, the, 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 the paper? And what they, they found is it's like it was just abysmally low. I mean, almost nobody would still stoop and, and help her pick up the paper. It was, it was kind of, they were kind of shocked. But they did notice something in human behavior that almost every person did before they left the phone booth. They would reach their finger into the coin return to see if there was a dime in there. <laughs> and so they morphed the study and they wanted to contrast it and find out would it change human behavior if someone found a dime in the coin return right before they stepped out? Would they be more likely to help someone with the paper? And what they found was shocking people were 22 times more likely to help someone pick up their paper if they had just found a dime. Are you kidding me? A dime and all of a sudden we feel great about life and we'll help anybody. 
<laughs> it leaves you wondering what kind of blessing we might be if we became convinced of Ephesians chapter 1 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world and redeemed and bought of the blood and made into a co-heir with Christ destined to reign with him now and in all eternity. When you see your life is so richly blessed and this is who your identity is that I'm a, a blessed child of God and I've been set apart unto him and God's done special things in my life through Jesus Christ. When you see that and you receive that deeply, you, you hardly even have to think about being a blessing to someone else, just who you are. And that's God's plan for the world. So, it's really not difficult. Blessing is a simple recognition of a virtue that you see in someone else. Like you think of someone that you know and love and just think of, is there something you see virtuous, noble, good, lovely in that person that maybe you see more clearly than he or she does? Well, chances are yes. Think about those things. Be a treasure hunter of other people. And then you affirm that, but don't just affirm it. Help them see how it's part of their identity. If you want to bless someone because you see that they act kindly towards others, you, you point out, I see this in you, and this is who you are. God's made you a person of kindness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And then with your own imagination, God-like imagination, what kind of positive vision can you see for their life that might arise out of that sort of kindness. And then you speak it. And when you do, you're like a farmer sowing seed. Every word that you speak. Ah, it may not be instant, but it's powerful. In the beginning, God created and he blessed. And you're very much, as one made in his image, you're very much like God. Oh, you're not, a, not the creator of the ends of the earth. No, you're, that's on his shoulders. And you're not the originator of blessing. That's God. But you're in partnership with him, a collaborator with him. And you have been given the power to speak life and to empower the people that you love. So maybe instead of closing with a prayer, I could invite you to stand and let me just speak blessing into your hearts as we go into our concluding time of worship. You have persevered through a wearisome pandemic. And I don't know what levels of trial that each of you has faced. It is in many ways a, a mark of at least something we all feel like a new day for us. <laughs> as I was talking with one, as I was arriving early this morning, like it's so beautiful to see your face. It's good to see your face. 
That's not a statement against Reformed Mass. It's just saying it's just it's good to see your face. Your, your smile is transforming to the atmosphere around. Oh, you're, you're like me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, beloved, you are God's masterpiece. And before there was sin, there was perfection. And Christ came to restore a right relationship with God so that, yes, while you will still sin and stumble in this world as we await the day that we're glorified, God has so fully redeemed you. If you're in Christ today, you are so fully redeemed, so gloriously and wondrously restored that that brokenness of the image of God in you that has been marred, it has been, it has been mended in Jesus. I want you to know that when God sees you, he doesn't see you according to your sin and certainly not according to your merits but he sees you through the merits of Jesus himself and what this means therefore and it's still hard for me to believe this but he loves you in the same way that he loves his only begotten son and that is perfectly would you just receive this into your spirits today you are perfectly loved. It is your identity. You are the beloved. And I'd like to say this to you, that there's someone in your life, maybe that person comes to mind now, and you want more for that person. Maybe you feel like I've spoken the wrong kinds of words. Well, that's over. Today's a new day. And I'm blessing you to have a keen, sanctified imagination to be a Michelangelo and to look into the block of granite and see the person that can emerge. And today, and in coming days, I bless you to be given the gift of words. They don't have to be flowery. They can be simple. And they're from your heart, and they match up with God's words. And I bless you, therefore, to be a blessing who is helping to shape someone's life. And I bless you, people of God. I bless you that God would fill you on this Pentecost Sunday with his Holy Spirit. I bless you to so receive from the Lord that you find that you have really emerged from all of this wearisome year with a second wind and a new vision and that you have mounted up with wings like eagles so you can soar. May the Lord God bless you and keep you and be kind and gracious to you and make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace now and forever. Amen.